Traveling the Vortex. We've joined Alastair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart and Harold Chorley as they fight against the Dominators in episode number 270. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Excellent. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys have a good week? Yeah. Okay, well, Oscar party tonight over at friend Dave's house. Yeah, what'd you guys think of the Oscars? I came in third. Oh, yeah. how many? Well, I think I tied for second. No, I came in third. There was, a, there was a tie for second. No, there was supposed to be a tie for second, but Sean miscounted and I came in third. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I still haven't checked my ballot to make sure he actually did. Miscount, <laughs> so how many did you get right? I got 16. Wow. Sean, how many did you get right? I got 11. I came in third from the bottom. I got six. Ooh. Ooh. I... Well, you've seen a lot of the films this year. I know. So. No, I haven't. I know. Exactly. I from <laughs> Last year I got really <laughs> Sarah got nine. Ooh, wow. Did you do anything else, Sean? Um, no, I went back to work after being sick forever. Then was sick again. <laughs> then went back to work. Uh, we just mostly caught up. Uh, we've been able to stay up on shows. We are ready for the season finale of Agent Carter. Oh, wow. Um, I fell way behind on that one. Well, should we move on to news? Yeah, we start with some rather sad news. I don't like sad news. I know. <laughs> Uh, John, <coughs> the actor John Rollison has passed away at the age of eighty-four. Uh, you would recognize, or our listeners would probably recognize him from playing Harold Chorley uh, in *The Web of Fear*. Sad news. He died in the hospital on uh, February twentieth. Uh, did not does not say the cause. How old is he? Do you know? He was eighty-four. Okay. So, a good long life. Yep. Our thoughts to his wife and three children. It's very, very, very... I was always kind of holding out hope that they get him back on the new show. Or, the, the, you know, do a, some sort of another great intelligence story and bring Charlie back into it. How great would that have been? No, that would be actually kind of cool. <coughs> that would be kind of cool if it could have brought him into uh, Bells of St. John's somehow, yeah. where he... Is doing a story on, uh, <laughs> or or aiding someone else doing a story on, uh, yeah, strange happenings. I had to feel good though that know that Web of Fear had been found. Yeah, and getting a chance to see that, you know, and and knowing that it was out there and people were getting to see it and disseminate it. Oh, and surely uh, he would know about the books that Titan or Candy Jar were doing too. So. Uh, On to some happier news. A Harry Potter star wants to be the Doctor. And not just any Harry Potter star. Harry Melling, also known as Dudley uh, Dursley. Was it Dudley? Dudley. Dudley. Oh. Well, he can't. (laughs) (laughs) But he he was Patrick Troughton's uh, grandson. Yeah, I knew that. But he's uh, he's a bad guy in Harry Potter, so he can't be. A, he redeems himself at the end, I suppose. But he can't be the Doctor. He's a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, master! There are a couple of provisos. Quid pro quo. I'm going to call a pre-existing condition on that one. <laughs> but was that before I can't he think was of the Doctor? Anybody that was a bad guy before they were a Doctor? No one. 
No one, huh? No one. Nobody. Was that before? When, when did that movie come out? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I came to it so late that I don't know what year that year that movie came out. Which movie? Goblet of Fire. Yeah, yeah. Was it? Yeah. You can, it, there's a rule that says you can't be a bad guy in Harry Potter and be the Doctor. I'm sorry. It doesn't work. <laughs> It's a good thing it's not, not just a, it's a good thing it's not a bad guy rule in general. It's not allowed. I guess it's so. only Harry Potter bad guys. No, no, no. no it's any any bad guy. I guess for our Beyond there's the Doctor not. special for David Tennant, we'll be doing Goblet of Fire. <laughs> <laughs> Was he in that? Yeah. What? Uh, uh. Playing a bad guy? No, of course I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> didn't. Uh, uh, Baker play Rasputin before he was the doctor? Or was it after? I can't remember. I think it was after. Was it after? I don't think he'd done much before. Yeah. He, uh, I might he remember had, of his... Well, he had done some, but he wasn't getting parts, so he ended up very many parts, so he ended up doing carpentry. <laughs> he was kind of a uh, Harrison Ford. <laughs> he was he, making ends meet. He, he was a ditch digger at one point <laughs> yeah. uh, before the before the call came in, wasn't he? That, maybe that's what it was. Or was, was Rod, that was Rod Stewart. He might have been digging ditches. I don't know what he was doing. He was doing... I thought he was doing carpentry. I thought it was very similar to uh, Harrison Ford. He was Kura before. <laughs> oh, was he? Golden Boy just in Yeah. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> Yet another villain. That became See, a you can't be a doctor if you're a villain before you <laughs> And don't look at no. all those uh, Christopher Eccleston roles of that course. he had before. <laughs> no, I think... Uh, you know, when your you default let, setting is BS, you wonder why I have problems trusting If you him. can let uh, Peter Capaldi, who was a quasi-bad guy in the thick of it, and the uh, television, or the uh, movie version of it that they did, I think you can allow anybody to be a, a doctor. After being a bad guy. Unless you're Eric Roberts. Speaking of Eric, Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts <laughs> as the doctor. Ooh, I don't know about that. I don't either. Uh, Eric Roberts is going to be in our neck of the woods uh, for Smallville Comic Con coming up. It's pretty exciting. It is exciting. We'll go down and ask him to record a bumper for us. and <laughs> We'll see what he says. See how that goes. Uh, and another con in our neck of the woods also added some more guests. Uh, Time Eddie has added Terry Malloy, who is also going to be taking part in a dinner theater that you can buy tickets to. What? A- an interactive dinner theater. What? Yeah. Now that sounds pretty awesome. Uh, I will pull up more information on that real quick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't prepared to talk about, about it, but then suddenly Cliff pushed it. So. Uh, did you not see that article? I did. No. The Peladon Proposal Mystery Dinner. Oh, I think I did see that. I didn't realize he was hosting that or, or participating in that. Yeah, That's I'm, right. I'm not entirely sure I did what, see the mystery dinner. Yeah, it is a separate ticket, so you have to buy that separately. Right. Uh, but then also, friend of the show, Stephen Thorne, is going to be in Wichita. So if we've interviewed somebody for the show, now they're suddenly a friend of the Absolutely. show? Absolutely. Oh, okay. That's how it happened with Simon Fisher Becker. Well, <laughs> but we... They had chatted him up quite a bit, and yeah, then we got him true. on the show after mm-hmm. they had talked to him, and... He's, he's friend of the show, Glenn. He, he's he's been connected to this show a lot more than most <laughs> guests. Andy Franken Allen's probably the uh, the second second most connected <laughs> to this show because we've had more correspondence. Well, with too, so. now we're going to have another correspondence in Wichita for Time Eddie. So That's true. Now he'll so, he'll cement his place as friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Come October, we will graduate him to friend of the. Should you bring the uh, Traveling the Vortex Sonic Screwdriver to 
like knight him or something. Friend of the show, Esquire. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for news. Oh, I have my cosplay figured out. Oh my god. Azul? No. <laughs> I need a partner. We should go as Bill and Ted. I've never seen a Bill and Ted at a con. Okay. That's me grabbing that out of left field. I said Esquire. What? Oh, okay. Oh. All right. <laughs> I don't know that, where. That, that's that's the, 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 the thin, very thin filaments that my brain makes those connections. <laughs> I guess that was right field. Esquire <laughs> was just enough. Ted Theodore Logan, Esquire. <laughs> yeah. So I'll how do, about feedback? <laughs> <laughs> All righty then. Feedback. Our first bit of feedback comes from Ben. I wonder if Adderall would help me. Sometimes I wonder. I do too. <laughs> he says... Hey guys, it's been a while since I last sent feedback. I discovered in Marathon the entire run of Welcome to Night Vale and read the novel too. Read several other books. Goodreads says I'm 13 books ahead of, my, of schedule for my reading challenge wow. for the year. I thought I was doing well being four books ahead of schedule. <laughs> uh, ahead of you, that's all I care about. I mean, Are you I, now? I was. You've, uh, I don't know, you've plowed through like five recently. Well, I so. added one recently that you'll be able to add because it's the same thing, so... Sorry, I don't challenge myself Sorry. in reading. <laughs> I know you should, though. You should read more, Keith. You don't read near enough. I, I, I enough. personally challenge myself. I don't need a book to tell it's me a, no. A, I'll tell you, I need, a, I, I need the discipline of saying, hey, you need to read 40 books this year. Or I go, oh, I, I read two books this year. Good for me. <laughs> I'm already going to read 12 this but year. You're so. a reader, though. <laughs> I am. I'm so. not. I have to force myself to read. I need so. to pick up the book I've put down, but I keep... Getting I'm distracted a, by podcast books. <laughs> I am a internet article and magazine reader is my problem. I need to read more. But. I love to read. Now that I'm out of school, I can read again. <laughs> well, now that I'm not going to school. I can't say I'm out, but... You're not in school. I'm just not in school. That's out of school. But if you challenged yourself... I'm going to challenge myself to read more books. You could have another bookcase. <laughs> this one is getting very Is full. that where it's going? Right there? This wall is crying out to me for a bookcase. I have one upstairs. What else has Ben say? Uh, ben says, got the flu the week of President's Day, thanks to my kids feeling the need to share. Put together my <laughs> Doctor Who Lego set, which was missing three pieces. No. Among a lot of other things. I also just now placed an Amazon order, and remember to go through to your website. May not be much each time, but I'm hoping over time these orders will help you guys continue to run the show with their usual excellence. Every little bit helps, man. Yes, Thank, it thank does. you, Ben. Even though I've been largely silent, minus some random tweets to you guys, I'm still around, listening and enjoying your show. That brings me to my last point. Among the several books I've read this year are all of the uh, Lethbridge Stewart books, minus the Dogs of War e story. This series has quickly become a favorite of mine. Candy Jar is amazing, as is Andy Frankham Allen, who's a downright nice chap. My apologies on the mini tangent there. As I mentioned, I have not read The Dogs of War, as it is currently unavailable. Candy Jar has told me at some point it will be re-released, but, it, but has not as of now. So I will unfortunately be skipping your next show, as I don't want to be spoiled on the story once I can read it. I will revisit that particular episode of yours 
as a side note, I mentioned to Candy Jar that I would be happy to buy a physical mm-hmm. copy of all the e-stories placed together in one volume. That'd be a good idea. That is a really good idea. Their response was cryptically hopeful. So I'm keeping. <laughs> so keep your fingers crossed. I'm sure there is something I'm forgetting to say, but that's all I can think of for now. So with that, I say to you, safe travels within the vortex, gentlemen. Ben. Thank you, Ben. Good to hear from you. And uh, speaking of Twitter, that's how he sent his his feedback. Yes. If you'd like to direct message us, then uh, send it to at Travel Vortex. Or if you like our Facebook page, you can send us a message through that, Traveling the Vortex on Facebook. We'll take messages, or you can post it directly to the page. Yeah. All right. Who's next? Chrissy. And Chrissy writes, checking in and catching up. Dear Vortex Boys, so... I'm way behind on listening to the podcast. Like, a month behind. I've been working feverishly to catch up, and I'm in the middle of your interview with Andy Frank Mellon. Which is awesome, by the way. I enjoy hearing Andy talk about the Lethbridge-Stewart novels and how that series came about. I just wanted to drop a line real quick, since I don't have anything timely or relevant to the show this week. What are y'all even doing this week? Never mind, I'll find out. <laughs> in a couple of weeks. And <laughs> let you know that I was still around. It's funny you mentioned that, Chrissy, because we're actually going to be reviewing some Lethbridge Stewart. This whole podcast has been very serendipitous. Because, yeah, it really has. Uh, <laughs> the actor who played Charlie passed away this week. We're talking about his character in the book, and then Chrissy chimes in. She's talking about uh, catching up and, and listening to Andy, and then just previous to that, Ben was talking about uh, uh, not being able to get a hold of Dogs of War, but he's been reading all the other stories, so... You're giving us like a little a, bit of hopeful candy jar. Yeah. Things, so. It's almost like we planned this. It's almost like we planned And Chrissy, we understand. We, we, you've had some really big life stuff happen. Really? What, what happened to Chrissy? I think she's going to go into it. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's read ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and for the record, Chrissy, a month is not so way well, behind. No, no. That's, that's four, four episodes. I mean, yeah, come on. It's not too bad. <laughs> Matt McMarmite just <laughs> wrote him a couple weeks ago. <laughs> he was a year behind. And, 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 and lots of things have changed. They're shorter now, so... It's a lot easier to catch up. A lot easier to catch up. <coughs> Another blessing. <laughs> First of all, I'm touched that you guys wanted to try and get out here for my wedding. I didn't expect any of my extended podcast family to make it, but I'm glad you wanted to. Brittany made it, which was a huge Yay, surprise. Brittany! Yeah, I that saw that on awesome. Facebook. When I saw she had boarded a plane was headed to Salt Lake City. That's awesome. The day turned out great, and we all had such a wonderful time. Jared and I went to Disneyland on our honeymoon, which was so much fun. Well, Jealous. We also did a cruise to Mexico, which was fun, too. But, I mean... That's where you're supposed to say, oh, jealous. I've done a cruise to Mexico. <laughs> I know, but I've, done, I've been to Disneyland, oh, too. that's true, so... <laughs> jealous. I'm jealous. Does that count? I'm jealous of the entire trip, Chris. I <laughs> Me, too. I could forego the cruise, but... The, fun was, the, the cruise was fun, too, but, I mean... Disneyland with Star Wars. I talked a bit about our trip on episode 82 of the Five-ish Fangirls podcast, and here's a link. (coughs) Basically, we spent most of our time in Tomorrowland with all the Star Wars and Marvel stuff they have there right now. We did a few other things, too. Pirates of the Caribbean, Haunted Mansion, Indiana Jones, California Adventure, etc. But yeah, Disneyland, still the happiest place on Earth. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't so much today. Did you guys see there was a KKK rally in... uh... Anaheim that got violent. Oh, sad. Oh, I don't think it was that. anywhere near Disneyland, but still. You can take the you can take the producer out of the newsroom, <laughs> but you can't take <laughs> can't the newsroom out, out of the producer. Uh, 
Second of all, I'm getting Peter Davidson at Fan X at the end of March. So I guess there's my excuse for going to this year's Time Eddie Gone. Oh, oh wait. <laughs> I was I was that was Good clapping for, you, Chris, for you're but... getting a chance to see him in Salt Lake, but <coughs> Aww. Aww. You should um, come here anyway. Though I want to try and get out there at some point. We'll find another reason. Since Galley won Besides seeing us, of course. <laughs> Since Galley won is now nearly impossible to get tickets for. Sean's getting married down there, so we're gonna you need to come out for that. Does Mel know? Look at, look at his expression. <laughs> what? I am? Did I do that? <laughs> the hell you say? <laughs> Keith ordained. I am. So are you. Well, yeah. I'm, You've actually done it, didn't you? No, yeah, you did. I, yeah, I did. You did, yeah. yeah. So He's already performed a wedding. So Marriage is a fine institution. All right, go on. Emphasis on institution. (laughs) That's not not the kind of institution you're going to end up in. No, I have have reservations. (laughs) What is it you always tell me? You have reservations at an institution. What is it you always tell me? It's not for you! (laughs) (coughs) Sean's Sean's motto has been there, done that. Twice. Had the t-shirt, lost it in the divorce. Where was I? <laughs> I don't know. We, we've derailed this feedback so many times. It's been a while since we've had a feedback go this awry. <laughs> uh, Galley is now nearly impossible to get tickets for. It looks like Time Eddie is the closest Doctor Who convention to me that I can actually attend. Oh, yeah. See? There's See? a reason. Even without Peter Davison. I'm more excited about this than any one human being has any right to be. Hopefully I won't pass out when he says hello. Because <laughs> uh, she hasn't met him yet, right? No. Right. It was Rachel who, uh, who cried him. and blubbered all over her doctor, <laughs> yeah. Colin Baker. So you've got a bar, Chrissy. I love that story. You've got a bar, Rachel. Chrissy. It's a great story. Isn't it? I love that story. <laughs> we should challenge people to top that. <laughs> <laughs> Have you your, cried over your doctor? Give us your best meeting your doctor story. I chased him down the hall, <laughs> screaming like a lunatic. <laughs> Don't actually do that. That's, uh, yeah. <clears throat> and I haven't actually gotten your poem again beyond the doctor episode yet. I'll get there, though, but just wanted to throw in a nod for Our Mutual Friend, which is in italics, which Paul McGann is absolutely fantastic in. That's one of Jared's favorite miniseries, which is odd for him, since he's not really into period drama that much. We watched that one together, and I just about fell on the floor when I saw Paul McGann was in that as Eugene Ryburn. The best I can describe his character is that the Eighth Doctor with a little more poetry, romance, and a heck of a mustache. (laughs) That's how I'm pronouncing it now, by the way. It's moustache. He was quite good in that. But I couldn't stop seeing the Eighth Doctor running around pining after Lizzie Hexham and getting involved in a rather violent love triangle. (laughs) Anyway, if anyone's looking for more Paul McGann and other non-Doctor roles, our mutual friend should certainly be on your list. I believe it came out soon after Doctor Who the movie. Maybe a year or so after? It's one of those miniseries that will probably inspire you to actually read the book. Well... Hmm. That's all I have for now. I'm getting things back to normal and adjusting to married life, which married life is great, but like I said, it's an adjustment. Hopefully I'll get some time for some more Vortex-related things. Work has been insanely crazy, and I think it's getting even more nutty with this being an election year. So I need something that's not news and politics-related in order to keep me sane. Don't get me wrong, I enjoy my job. It's something I've always wanted to do, and I'm actually getting to do. But it's like anything else in life. You need a break from time to time to keep yourself from getting burned out. Anyway... I hope all is going well for you guys and your families. I'll write to you later when I've gotten caught up, and hopefully before then, too. Chrissy. 
Thank you, Chrissy. Thanks, Chrissy. And absolutely, it's important to unplug sometimes from from your nine to five, <coughs> so to say. And it's always nice to hear from you. And of yes. course, Jared is now invited as well. Yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's the most important reason you need to come to Time Eddie so we can meet him. Yeah. Yes, we must approve of this gentleman that you're intent on marrying. <laughs> Too late. I, I think you're a little late, John. <laughs> you did not bring your boyfriend home for me, Missy. <laughs> well, that's it for feedback, right? That is. Right. Should we move so, on to our reviews? Yes, we are starting with the 10th Doctor Comics. With issue 11. Which sets up a big arc for the end of the season, (laughs) quote-unquote. I have to say, uh, just kind of jumping ahead throughout the entire run of this uh, arc, I really enjoyed it. I think it was really well done, and I really liked the art in it also. I think this plus some exciting things. It's it sets up some really cool stuff and then really pays off some really cool things later on. I think. I think this was my, if not first favorite arc of the Tenth Doctor series. It was a, the very least my second favorite arc. Um, it's a very close tie with that one with the Weeping Angels that was set yeah, in World War Two. I would agree. Uh, I think this one was really inventive and imaginative. And it explored some things that, not that they haven't been explored in fiction or Doctor Who, but this one really kind of thought outside the box without getting real cerebral. It got very kind of esoteric. It got very, um, what am I looking for? Uh, Dealing with the, I like how it deals with the the cult of the matter of following uh, the ancient Egyptians and this black pyramid that uh, existed yeah. and they were the ancestors of this particular cult were uh, guardians of and it disappeared and then to find out that in fact when Anubis shows up <laughs> my first inclination was oh my gosh Sutek's alive I know so was mine <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't until he says Anubis in the next one that I was like oh yeah son of Sutek okay this had some really great cliffhangers Oh, it did. Some Especially the first thing. issue one, in fact, where I, he unregenerates. Yeah, I found myself um, really getting excited when I could tell Cliffhanger was coming, just wondering what it was going to be. Yeah. Well, and I really liked... It feels, it feels like it had really built all to this. Like, his entire comic run so far has been building to this story. Because there's so many elements tied together. I mean, it's a five-issue arc. That of this story, so I mean, so much of the stuff with Gabby, and while it's not her family, it's her friend that she's kind of inter, uh, becoming more integrated, and really, it's it just really fit everything really well. It's nice that we got to get a little bit with Cindy as well. Yeah, and, and the two of them together before yeah. splitting them apart, and the whole dynamic of the fact that the fact that she has kind of grown distance from distant from her because of the fact that she's been traveling with the doctor, and so her feeling kind of like this jilted friend whose friend just completely disappears, but yeah. is is sending her information about all of this fantastic stuff, and when she comes back, she's trying to fill her in on the the reality that's happened to her, and, and she doesn't, doesn't believe her. her. Yeah. yeah. 
Because why would you? I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, it's some pretty <laughs> and, and fantastical it's, stuff. It's nice that Cindy is also worried about her friend yeah. because of these stories that she's telling her. I was vaguely disappointed. Really? Yeah. I, I, I thought the setup was great. I, I was really getting into it, and as the, the the story unspooled, just found myself going, "Oh, this is cool. This is great. This is everything." And uh, I, I enjoyed the, the the telling of the story, but I felt like. <clears throat> It was a little choppy. It, it almost felt like there were, there were several times in pretty much each issue that I had to kind of go back and look and see, did I miss a panel or a page? Because it felt like there was a lot of information that got dumped on me, but not necessarily in the, in the correct order. Mm. And I didn't know if that was just that maybe he needed one more issue to kind of really gel everything together. And they had to, you know, in order to end at that magic 15 for the finale of the the, the, the season that well I'll cut this out or I'll do the I don't I don't know it just it just felt choppy huh. and um, it, it kind of the the pacing of that really kind of took me out of the story it was a little frustrating because I really wanted to be so excited especially when you find out that it is in fact Osirens and yes it's those Osirens and <laughs> oh yes we're, we're we're dealing with Sutek and I kept thinking well we're not dealing with Sutek we're well, dealing with Anubis <laughs> or, 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 the specter of Sutek you know. <laughs> It, it it just because they kept they well, it's almost even, name it's, drop him early. Well, it's and then they don't. But yeah, then, I don't, and I think even <clears throat> even when they were talking about the Osarians, I didn't even suspect that it was Sutek, and so I was quite surprised when a Sutek like being shows, <laughs> shows up, up, and I and I almost did a well duh, but it was more of the how did he survive? Because yeah. I mean he was yeah. destroyed as he came through <laughs> the, the time tunnel back to Earth when the Doctor and and uh, Sarah Jane were. Uh, dealing with him so long ago in Pyramids of Mars. And so it was one of those things that I, I... I mean, you can do anything in Doctor Who, and you can do certainly do anything in comic books in the sense that we were kind of dealing with a, an ethereal world here because we had the uh, one entity, which was the... What were they kept calling the uh, Seeker? Yeah. And then we had the key. Which looked fantastic. I loved the design oh, I did of the too. Seeker. I think it was great. What well, was it, the, well, the Seeker was tied in so well with Pyramids of Mars? Yeah. Well, the Seeker, looks, great the Seeker looks great in its its non corporeal form, and then it looks great when it actually materializes as something. And and, and agreed, it does kind of sit fit that uh, that look and that feel. It looks like a mummy. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, and then the key merging with Dorothy, I thought, was a, a, a terrifically clever idea, especially a woman who is nearing death's door because she's been sick. And that collaborative effort between the two, I thought, was really neat. I, I, I fail to see the choppiness of it, though. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to see where you kind of felt that it, it felt like the pacing was wrong or, or, or felt choppy. If, if anything, it felt like they were with intentionally withholding what this cult was so they could surprise you. Agreed. Because I was surprised Agreed. with who it was. And I think it plays out well. Even with the name drops of the Osirens, it took me until him showing up to realize, oh, that's what we're talking about. I, I kind of started getting an inkling as, as we approached that reveal that, are we building to this? Yeah. Well, and I, then, I knew they were <coughs> dealing with Egyptian mythology. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I really didn't know that they were going to go the Horus and Sutek route. Yeah, yeah, no. Or and, t- yeah, tying them together. I had no idea. Yeah. I, I was with you. I, I, I didn't. I didn't cue into it immediately. Um, it was just vague enough that you know it wasn't until the reveals when they happened that it was like, oh, okay, cool. But I just, um, 
I don't know, maybe choppy is not even the right word. I just, I, I, I would, I would, I would read it, and then I would have to stop and go back a page and make sure that I hadn't skipped something. Oh gosh, it just felt like we, I'm almost time jumped. See, forward in the story, like I was watching a bad DVD and it kept skipping forward. If and anything, I would have to like make it was sure that it was, it was very fast paced for me, meaning it was things were happening time. quickly, but I never felt like it was jumpy or skipping ahead. I just felt like it was very, there, we were, we, there was no time to sit and take a breather. We were continually moving the, the story forward, and I liked that because, you know, this is one of the few times that I've sat down and I've read. And I've read it twice because I enjoyed it so much the first time. The, it, well, and I plus I want a refresher for tonight. But um, <laughs> both times it read – I rarely do I read five comic books right in a row at one sitting and yeah. just feel like, wow, did I really just page through five <laughs> – a story arc of five issues. And it, it just – it it I'd get to the end of one and as Keith pointed out, the great cliffhangers it's, in this – I get to the end of it and go. You want to know what happens? Okay, I'm just going right on because I want to know what happens, and it, and it just picks right up where it leaves off. I really like Cleo. I think she was a fantastic yeah. uh, kind of anti-hero because she's kind of a you know she's definitely a bad guy at the beginning, and then when they pair up, you sort of think, okay, well she's she's helping along, so you begin to trust her as the doctor does, and then when he double crosses her and he ends up taking it, she ends up taking the device back to her you know uh, group, the cult leaders. It's you have this love hate relationship with Cleo, and she really is the one at the end. I think that really kind of is grasping things better than anybody besides oh. the Doctor of what's going on, and she's really trying to figure out and piece things together as we go. And I think part of that's because she knows the players so well, and she's kind of an outsider. While she's part of this cult, she still has an objective view because she's not as ingrained as Eric and yeah. uh, Hey Jim. What was the other guy's name? The the actual ancestor. I can't Eric. remember his name. Eric. No, Eric was the the blonde haired guy. The other guy, uh, Havig. Havig, or was that Eric? Maybe I was reading it wrong. I thought Eric was the Eric was the blonde guy. Eric was the and then the the, the, the guy, Middle Eastern guy, the ethnic guy was Hanneth. 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 Um, so yeah, not you know they were they were obviously the devout diehards, but yes. uh, and she was just kind of this mercenary were you know uh, connected well she was enough the hired gun yeah exactly she was the henchman and or henchwoman rather uh so i, I really felt like her character's really fleshed out in fact i would love to see her return which i think we might especially the way possible. this kind of yeah was, which was completely unexpected uh, the last two panels was just what it was uh, great to have one of those for lack of a better word villains who i mean she, she's she's a villain in the first one, she for is. sure. Show, no, she oh, yeah. I mean, she, she hits Vivian with an Oscar. <laughs> and then shoots her with the time gun, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> regenerative gun. And then shoots the doctor with it. You know, so. <laughs> and as Keith pointed out, the the retro regeneration was, was pretty cool. It was cool. I Again, that was kind of an area that I felt a little cheated because it, it, it kind of harkened back to one of those cliffhangers that wasn't really a cliffhanger. You know, it was like a dun dun dun. It, it didn't oh, feel we're like already was, over with that, and it yeah. didn't even. Well, it, yeah, it the kind of reverts. Was it reverts. So didn't quickly. play anything yeah. into to dealing with it. I, I suspect one. that the reasoning behind that is, and I think that this is why this issue, which would have been the one that got delayed, that put us behind on the eleventh or the tenth Doctor's story. I have a feeling that once they got Chris's okay to do, Chris Eccleston's okay to do uh, 
the Ninth Doctor series, there must have been some gray area. And they got really excited. And they said, okay, we've got Chris's permission for here. What else can we do with Eccleston's character? We've now got the Ninth Doctor in the fold. And I have a feeling that their first idea was, well, let's get him into the Four Doctors. And so that delayed that specific issue as well. And when that was okayed, and and Legal must have ironed that out with with Christopher Eccleston's people... Then they must have want, they said, well, can we go a step further? And this is something we want to do in this line. And so I wonder if they had to go back to Eccleston's people and say, hey, we'd like to do an image here. Is this okay? And I think in the whole process of that, they were still feeling out whether they were going to be able to do a Ninth <clears throat> Doctor series, which as we <clears throat> know now is happening. So I wonder if there was a lot of legal gray area maneuvering there and that's what caused the things to delay. And I I wonder if that was an added bit. I wonder if that was one of those let's see how far we can get with this. So I have a feeling And why they didn't continue it further in the story. Exactly, knowing that eventually we're gonna do we're gonna have a lot more nine. I enjoyed the artwork. Um artwork's been solid through the tenth doctor's era, I believe. Yeah. Um, and I think it's been consistent because I think it's been the same team doing it. Especially some of these uh, fantastic shots of the... Uh, <coughs> they really nailed New York, um, I think. If you've ever been to New York, you know, just yeah. you can almost taste yeah. it. It just has this kind of... Yeah, that's um, New York. I, I didn't do any research on this, but maybe you guys know. Is Hi-Fi an individual or is that a team? Because there's a group coming to Kansas City Comic Con called Hi-Fi Color, C-O-L-U-O-U-R. And I think it's a coloration team that works on, uh, does artwork. Hmm. And I, I was I wondering know. if maybe this was the same group. Now, when it says Hi-Fi on the cover, it just says Hi-Fi. It doesn't have color with it. Hmm. And this particular group that they've announced for Kansas City Comic Con is actually called Hi-Fi then. Color. The, yeah, so I, I wondered if maybe they were connected or not. Which cover were they on? Well, Hi-Fi's on the list of, I think it's coloration, isn't it? For the, isn't it part of the artwork, or is he is, is that particular individual just doing the art? I don't know. I, I've never. I don't think they're on the, the, the. Hi-Fi's part of the team that's working on. Oh, this. here, okay. Yeah. So it's not until issue fourteen. Oh, colorist is Hi-Fi. Color is Hi-Fi. So that's what I wondered. <coughs> if maybe there was some sort of connection. It might be. I don't know. Maybe we'll have to do some investigating and find out. be nice to get them on the show if they've been yeah, involved absolutely. in this series. I, I really also liked... Um, I'm blanking on her name now. Dorothy. Yeah, Dorothy. I really liked yeah, her. She's an expert. We talk about too. Just a, a, a well, well-done character. Well-realized you, you expect character. her. You expect not to like her. When mm-hmm. You're introduced to her, and then you really grow to like her. Yeah, well, and, and her, her Andy and Vivian as well. Yeah, and knowing her, that their intentions are are uh, noble, and I, I think mean, they're personal, but they're but they're noble. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is her and Gabby's interactions is are so good that mm-hmm. you really start to like her and feel for her. And, and Dorothy recognizes the, and the, the, the purity and the goodness in Gabby, and I like that. Yeah. The, or at least the key does. Yeah. And the fact that, yeah, like you said, it, the noble reasons behind it, it wasn't to make her young so she's famous again. It's to save her life. Right, was right. a nice uh, depth added there when it couldn't, they could have easily just made it simple. I liked her power too. That 
she was able to see these ghost images, that that was really almost the more important than being able to reorganize matter and adding 20 stories to the Empire State Building. But that does do uh, add to her character because the first thing she does is goes and finishes the hospital that was started mm-hmm. and, yeah. and that she's funded. And so that kind of adds to her character that it's something that she's wanting to do for others. And then it goes beyond that with, yeah, the Empire State Building <clears throat> and the structures over into the bridge structures over into Jersey that she adds because it's, it's for the benefit betterment of the city. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with any sort of selfish pride. And so, yeah, the, the characters fleshed out really well. I really like Dorothy a lot. And it's about that time, too, that, that uh, Cleo really starts coming her own to, to flip from being a villain into being... When, when, they, when they form the truce to go find Dorothy, <coughs> you're still kind of like, eh. Well... I don't trust you. You have to because of... But 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 as a reader, you're going. Nah, yes. I don't trust you. I'm waiting for right. I'm waiting for the inevitable betrayal so that I can curse you. And <laughs> so Cleo's kind of there. And then when they all get team added up to the ship, she's immediately flipped. She has now yeah. been confronted with something outside her, you know, her range of experience. And it was refreshing to have somebody who then turns around and defaults to the doctor going, you know more about what's going on than any of these other people. You're the expert here. I'm now backing your play. And I appreciate that so much as opposed to the kind of almost one-dimensional cardboard villains that you get so frequently in the TV show. Yeah. That just kind of like, no, 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 I'm going to do this. It's like, well, dude, we're on a spaceship. It's like, no, it's a, you know, it's a chariot of the gods. It's, like, it's a spaceship. <laughs> You know, and they just you know refuse to to you know, they continually mold the facts to fit their particular views, versus Cleo who went and just rolled with it and said, "Okay, no, we're we're going this straight." And I just I, I really grew to, to to like her even more. <clears throat> I was very angry with the doctor for a good chunk of this for continuing to um, shush not Gabby but um, Cindy. Cindy Cindy yeah that he he. he, he just, Really treated her like a non-entity through most of it, and it was frustrating because it's like you of all people should know better. Yeah. And part of it was the adventure. Part of it was the the pacing. Part of it was you know we have other things to worry about right now. But part of it was just it felt rude. I I think it was very in line <coughs> with the Tenth Doctor, especially at this time frame of the Tenth Doctor. And I'll tell you why because he was very much the same way with Mickey. He recognized Mickey's value, but he recognized Mickey's value way too late. Yeah. And I think now some of that goes to the Ninth Doctor as well, but the Tenth Doctor really did play Mickey as <coughs> Mickey the idiot. And so I, I, I sort of felt like it was in character. I never thought that he was downright rude and mean to her, but he was a bit put offish. And but I always, I've always gotten the impression that Ten always is very self-focused, whereas. Eleven sort of always had an awareness of everything and everyone. And I think even maybe the Ninth Doctor had that to a, to a, to a fault. But I think Tin was always, I don't want to say self-centered, but he was very self-focused and self-motivated. And he always seemed to be pushing aside the people that were around him, even Rose to an extent. And so I don't think it was until Donna that he really sort of got to that layer or era or or 
or what in order to kind of let people in and involve them a little bit more. So while I think he does that with Gabby because he's gotten to know her, I think it's very in character for him to do that with people that come in from the outside. They feel like outsiders to him, so he feels like they have little merit until he recognizes their value. So yeah. I think it worked for me. There's a, there's a certain amount of truth to that. I mean, obviously you go back to Pertwee or Capaldi, who are dismissive of everybody. Yeah, until they <coughs> prove their worth. Until they prove their worth. But yeah. I don't know, it just it seems strange to me that that was... I did feel bad for it, and, and it was one of those almost, well, you should have made your decision early, but on the other hand... They did take off quickly <laughs> yeah. uh, when she does change her mind and it's too late. They're, they're, they're gone. Yeah. I, I that, did, because at that, at that point, she'd also proven herself. Yeah. I had sort of thought perhaps we were going to take on another companion, a second companion, not replacing so Gabby. Too. But yeah. uh, especially with the cover of this, with the A cover of this, where it looks like they're inviting her in. Uh, and I didn't really get that until we got to this point in the book. And I went, oh, that make, the cover makes so much more sense now. <laughs> um, but or, or even... Uh, um, Dorothy, Dorothy. Yeah, I didn't expect Dorothy to be. I, I kind of knew Dorothy's fate was going to be what it was. I, yeah. Well, no, 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 no. Well, <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be what it ultimately ends up being <laughs> because it looks very bad for her. But uh, I, I really that thought point. that she would end up having to stay because that would be. I mean, the key has to be where the key is. And that also prolongs Dorothy's life and, and gives her another function or, or new meaning to her character. And up um, to the last two panels or last page, I liked Anubis. Yeah, I thought too. he was well as, as, as a start a great villain, and then turns into a sympathetic character. Well, he does, and it, it although he does a little bit of flip flopping a bit because he he's still trying to convince them that he's not the vengeful god. He's not neither well, and, Horus and he's, or and he's Sute. conflicting. <clears throat> To trying not to be those things. Right. And so he's doing this flip-flop type thing, although he has such determination to go through onto the afterlife for the fourth dimension or whatever. He's not willing he's to look at the effects of it. Exactly. Until the doctor points it out. Exactly. And so he's one of those complicated quasi-villains where you don't quite know where he's going to land. And so when he does end up realizing that his fate is essentially to wait and not cross over yet, and then to be that turned again at the very, very end. It was very, yeah. okay, this is really, really well done. Because you feel bad for him when he, ha- when you, when you figure out, when he, he figures out he has to wait again and continue waiting. You almost have a lot of sympathy for him at that point. Yeah. I also enjoyed the uh, the cameo appearance of uh, reporter Trinity Wells. Yes, <laughs> two of them, a couple times. Yeah. yeah, coming back that was that was kind of fun. Appropriately so, too. Yeah, right era. Even her look. And I thought uh, the writer had uh, the ten, Tin's voice really well throughout the entire thing. All right. Anything else on this uh, arc? I'm looking forward to season two of the Tin's Doctor. I'm very much looking yeah, forward to season absolutely. two. <clears throat> See where we go with it. And fortunately, it looks like Cindy, uh, Cleo, and even Anubis have a chance to come back and <laughs> revisit as well. So. What, what was your take on the, 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 the end, the very end with... Um, well, uh, we can what, say what, it. Dorothy Lane there happened? on the grain, uh, ground apparently 
either unconscious, unconscious or dispatched, and Anubis <coughs> seemingly turning much more like his father than we even expect in this story. Uh, I was disheartened by it, but pleased that they took that turn with it in order to allow it to be something to revisit in the future. Yeah, I would I would agree with that sentiment. I look forward to seeing what they do next with it and how they're going to do it hopefully differently in a, in some different form in some different way. I definitely don't want uh Anubis to come back <clears throat> too soon though. I think that uh we it needs they need to late wait and let him lie in wait and then revisit it down the line a bit. Maybe season 3 or something. Yeah. You have to be careful because we don't know how long the the line yeah, will last. Yeah, that's the I mean, problem. Look at uh, uh, IDW; they didn't have it for as long as I expected they would. Yeah. And even uh, if it, even if they don't get to revisit it, I like that it's kind of left open. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention Panini's got uh, rights in the UK, so <laughs> at any point they could decide they want to publish here too. I suppose it's true. All right, well, shall we move on to some Lethbridge Stewart action? Yes. <coughs> so here's the uh, the official spoiler horn sounding uh, that we are going to talk about The Dogs of War, the short story, and then we are going to give our spoiler-filled review of Mutually Assured Destruction. Which domination. Te- or Domination, Mutually Assured Domination. <laughs> I think I, I said destruction earlier, too. We'll never get these titles right. Um, <laughs> we have technically reviewed the book previously on the podcast, but we very carefully tipped around some things. We're not going to do that now, so uh, if you're not caught up and don't want to know, now's a good time to jump ship and <laughs> bail on this episode. That's right. <laughs> but, but be sure to revisit it later when you have. Yes. I don't have a synopsis for the... Uh, <coughs> Dogs of War. It's, it's so, so short, I don't think we need to. I think yeah. we can just dive right in. Great spy story, cloak and dagger, very little... Alien intervention, the science just fiction, a, just enough, just the enough, end. and the science fiction of it. It's a lot like Cult of the Grinning Man, in the sense that we got absolutely no science fiction in that. This yeah. one, we get an element that's there that is necessary for the story, and we get you know Yeti return, which I thought was wonderful. Uh, but it, this feels like a very cloak and dagger esque story, and it it really. It, it feels like reading a pulp dime novel spy story is what it feels like. And I quite enjoyed that aspect. And it's such a great collision of worlds having Gilmore finally get to meet Lethbridge Stewart and those two kind of how fandom has kind of retconned it in their head that somehow the two got together and formed unit and you start to see the beginning of this here, which was fantastic to read and of seeing them bring Lethbridge Stewart into the fold even more so. And it does diverge from some of the elements set forth in the downtime story, but not enough to, for me anyway, to kind of set aside the downtime stuff altogether and say we've rewritten the history. It's enough of a, at this point, it's enough of a, maybe building or lead up to the events and remolding of the little bit that we get at the beginning of the downtime novel, um, which I thought was great. Uh, 
I kind of like where Andy's taking this direction because realistically, Gilmore comes from Revelation of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just, just then utilized again heavily. No. Resurrection. 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 Of the Remembrance. Dogs. Thank you. Remembrance. Gosh. Jeez, one, of these the R's. R's. <laughs> one of the R's. Remembrance of the Dogs. And that's another thing that I like about this story is that as we're exploring the different sightings of the Doctor and the connections, how we start mentioning things that are callbacks to Trotter's Lane and the, and the uh, what's the uh, location for the Dalek story? Uh, uh, it's the Scrapyard. Yeah, it's... Uh, I love how Totter's Lane is kind of a cover for <laughs> the... Uh, uh, Foreman. Foreman's Junkyard. Foreman. What scrapyard. Yeah, Foreman's. I'm sorry. Yeah, I Foreman's uh, Scrapyard is sort of the uh, the cover spot for... Because that's where it all kind of began. Uh, what am I looking for? The Shortage. That's it. Shortage is, is yeah. where, where it's at. And uh, we get, you know, just little nods back to other sightings. And the fact that the... Cosmic Hobo has a similar, except for there was one time where he was he was uh, he was uh, older and different, <laughs> and at the exact same time. At the exact <laughs> same time, uh, I like the fact that that Gilmore's like it seems to me that Lethbridge Stewart is a little more trusting of the Cosmic Hobo or the Doctor than Gilmore is, and Gilmore points to the fact that well, if you read the accounts, if he hadn't left something there in the first place, which implies Especially that the first doctor left the key of Omega, or the hand of Omega and then came back to get it, then we wouldn't have had the incursion of the Daleks in the first place, or the, the creatures that, that arrive in the, in the first place, because he's kind of the cause of that, uh, indirectly or directly, if you, depending on how you kind of look at it. Uh, in that case, he's sort of the instigator and the reason why, and it seems like he's always other places. And Gilmore even points out to him, or or, or Lethbridge Stewart looks to it. I think is as he's remembering that the great intelligence was here because he was here to trap the Doctor. So the Doctor's yeah, a lot more involved the- in these events than necess- that would be necessary, and then almost that the Doctor is putting Earth in danger. And I kind of like that element, which yeah. has, has been explored in Doctor Who. Yeah, which, yeah, I, I agree. I, I really like that aspect of it. So I knew going into it, this is the, the you know, this is the long-awaited meeting. <clears throat> this is where Gilmore and, and, and Stewart are finally going to meet up. And we get it. We get that meeting very early, within the first ten pages. <laughs> Here's the meeting. And then Lethbridge Stewart leaves the office. And he goes home and he reads a bunch of files. And I kind of thought, oh, <laughs> because that's all we're going to get. You know, we, we, we got the meeting. And I was okay with it, but I wasn't really happy with it. It was like, well, I guess, you know, when you're tiptoeing around what you can and can't do, I guess, yeah, that, you know. Yeah, it's easier to. Okay, I'm fine. And I had just talked myself into being relatively okay with it. And then Gilmore showed back up and we got the whole espionage part of the book. And I was like, yay! That just, it just, I don't know, it just really cemented the whole thing for me. And I know the last short that we reviewed, the, the, the Christmas story, I kind of felt like it was the perfect short story of the set just because it was this fun little romp. This is the one. This yeah. is, this is, this is the, the best of the, of the because it, season it, it, it one shorts. Because it advances really plot is. Yeah. and is fun. Well, and it manages to do both while tying back in 
to everything that's happened so yeah. far in these books. Yeah. It, 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 it ties back into the, the Forgotten Son. It ties back into the, the, the Yeti and Dr. Travers and all of that stuff that we've had kind of going on and, and, and weaving those plot threads together. And it manages to give those a fairly satisfactory, you know, <clears throat> conclusion and setting up where we're going. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In the last book. And the fact that you did all of that and brought group captain chunky gilmore in yeah <laughs> that that's you know and you did it in less than 50 pages yeah i mean that's really that's impressive outstanding work. yeah i had to do some research on, no, I, uh, sorry I, I read it right that there's more than just the forge it's <coughs> I, I, I like the the subtle torchwood nod but the mm-hmm. the the group underground isn't is a third entity right the, the the group that was on the underground yeah yes. the, the the group in the underground i get the impression is the same group that had a bit of a hand in uh the second story the schizoid earth i have a feeling it's kind of a conglomeration of that group okay uh not 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 the not necessarily <coughs> the it's 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 the political mecha it's a group that's kind of trying to start their own unit-esque type yeah, group. I mean, yes. they're all trying to do that. They're, yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the, there's, 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 there's some sort of seedy group within the ministry that is trying to do the thing, which really is going to go far to me to explain why we go outside of London in order to get a worldwide group and join them to to the United Nations, as a, yeah. so that you've got everybody has a stake in it, as opposed to just the UK, who seems to be kind of trying to, at least some people on the inside are trying to formulate their own uh, group that will kind of torch with things. <laughs> I, I, really, I mean, if you look at it, and, and I agree, I, I love the nod to Torchwood. I love the nod to the Scourge. I mean, that's just, it's it, there's there's a real connect to the greater universe without really having flushing it out without having to go into a lot of detail. Yeah, and and, and you know, Candy Jar's hands are sort of tied as far as you really have to have the rights to a lot of this. And they've done a really great job of incorporating that without nailing it down. And you know exactly what they're talking about in, in a lot of these references to outside material. And it, it works really well. And I think that brings it in closer to uh, the world of Doctor Who and keeping it with, you know, uh, a tight knit with the series proper. Yeah, I would agree. So... Obviously, there, there, there's a lot of influence from the vault with this um, this, this splinter faction that uh, Johnston is working for. <clears throat> the, uh, and, and this is just pure conjecture on my part, but I, I kind of suspect that we're going, as, as the books progress, that we may find out that there's almost a Hydra-esque... <laughs> element that it does kind of get that that's that's the implication kind of spring up here that we're going to see that it's not just that we have our fingers in a lot of different pies you know to put a familiar label on it yeah i think you can safely say that um but yeah i'm i I like the fact that it wasn't just you know it's not just the vault it's not not just the bad guys that well you know yes and no (laughs) (laughs) there are things going on more yeti roaming the underground. I mean, just well, like the idea that they have already meddled in capturing alien tech and utilizing it for themselves, 
And I was quite pleased to see that not only that, but realizing that they needed um, Professor Travers in order to spring the trap yeah. and utilize him in the control. And it goes a long way to me in, again, Andy's probably going to cringe, but uh, in furthering the idea <laughs> that Travers is so directly connected to the great intelligence because he obviously is the best vehicle in order to use because he has been possessed by the great intelligence twice, uh, once in Tibet, once in the underground. And so it goes a little further to the possession that he he. He, he regains again, once again, when we get to downtime. And uh, as much as I think they're trying to kind of retell the some of the things that's been set forth by Mark Platt, I think that they continue to walk a nice thin line of not completely. And, and Andy addressed this a little bit when we were talking uh, about it in his in with his interview with him, that not not redressing what happened in downtime. But making it work within, you know, the, you don't have to really stretch the boundaries to keep it within your head can. Yeah, you yeah. really don't. I did a little research on uh, <clears throat> Gilmore uh, as we were going into this, just so that I kind of keep it straight in my head that this is, in fact, the guy that I'm thinking of. <clears throat> and I didn't realize that apparently, because um, I remember he was referred to as Chunky in remembrance there's there's yes. one person that calls him chunky well, he is and, chunky <laughs> and a big guy he's not a small guy well apparently every the, the, everybody wondered uh, at the time that the episode aired you know because he's not I mean, he's not fat no 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 he's, no, no, he's, no, he's, no, he's no. a stout man. He, he's a bigger yeah. guy but he's he's not even what i would consider to be chunky well from 1963 standard i think he is chunky and i i guess as was written there was a line of dialogue where he asked for his pistol and he says, hand me my chunky and they give him the gun. <laughs> oh. So that's what <laughs> that it's referring to. But yeah. then that line was cut and they don't, they didn't put that scene in there, but everybody took to calling him chunky on the set. And apparently it crept in, <laughs> in that other scene where somebody slipped up and called him chunky. And at that point, everybody was so used to it that it was, it was part of the thing. I didn't think twice about it. And I, that to me is one of the favorite stories I think I've ever heard coming from Doctor Who. <laughs> just, <laughs> just that that's where that comes from. And I was like, all right, I'll totally deal with that. <laughs> the other thing that I thought was really cool is how well Andy captured Gilmore's voice. That I could totally yeah. see, because it's, in a way, it's a little difficult just because, I mean... We got one story. I mean... Well, you can see the actor Simon Williams really kind of in in the role. You can right. see that from but, him. But, but even then, I mean, we're talking... Because that uh, Remembrance is set in 1963. Yes. Versus... This is, this is ten years later. Almost. Uh, yeah. Not quite. Yeah, that's more like six or seven years. Unit later. dating. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> and he promises to fix that too. Yeah. Which, which we're, we're, we're now holding our breath. And he didn't promise. To. He said he thinks he has a way. He to thinks fix he has that. a way of fixing it. But um, so you know the fact that so much time has passed and he's not Group Captain Gilmore anymore. That he's right. obviously yeah, risen he's up the ranks and been promoted. And, but but still managing to capture everything that made the character cool uh-huh. when you watch it in the episode and then come back to it in the story and it's not a carbon copy of, yes. of Lethbridge Stewart. It's yes. not a, he, he's his own thing. 
I thought he did a great job with it. So I didn't trust him as much. Yeah, <laughs> and I like I like that he made it so I I didn't trust him in, in, in right away. When they when they're in the it tunnels, helps that Lethbridge Stewart doesn't trust him either. So. Yeah. When they're in the He's tunnels and, and Lethbridge is going, okay, where where are we going again? Now? There there are there are moments throughout that bit where it's like, well, you should be able to trust him, but you can't. Yeah, it's just like ah, uh, I just loved it. Everything it was about really it was good, really good. All right, should we move on to a spoiler-filled review of Mutually, Mutually Assured domination. domination? And I don't know why I can't remember the word domination since the Dominators are in this story. Huge role. Uh, the Dominators, the masters of the Ten Galaxies, have come to Earth and brought with them the deadly robotic weapons, the Quarks. It's the summer of 69. Flower power at its, is at its height, and nuclear power is in its infancy. Journalist Harold Chorley is out of work and Colonel Alastair Lethbridge-Stewart is out of sorts. Dominic's industries are on the up, promising cheap energy for all, but people have started going missing near their plant in da- on Dartmoor. Coincidence, or are sinister forces at work? Join Lethbridge-Stewart and uneasy ally Harold Chorley as they delve into the secrets behind Dominic's and uncover a plan that could bring about the end of the world. Dun, dun, dun. We did a spoiler-free review, but I don't really feel like there's not much... Oh my gosh, I'm glad you're saying this, because I, I keep thinking back to our review of it, and I don't think that it was necessary to spoil anything... However, we seem to have really kind of covered this. We one. really did because and I, I tried because unlike the others, it is a straightforward it is unit story. As we said back then, it feels like it feels the most like an episode of Doctor Who, and that's not to put it down in any way no, at, all, not at all, or or say that it felt drastically you, you, different than the Lethbridge Stewart line. But it's one of those stories that. You kind of tell from point A to point B, and it has a lot of mystery, it has a lot of setup, and it has those really kind of fantastical Doctor Who elements to it. Had this been a new villain that they were going up against, you could have replaced Chorley with the Doctor, and it could have been a, a, a unit TV story. You could easily swap them out if it was a new villain. It's Once he knows it's quirks and Dominators, then you have another issue there. But and the story would be resolved quicker. Oh, I hope you don't swap Chorley out for the Doctor though, because that'd make the Doctor seem a little bit bumbling. Because well, Chor- Chorley does is a little inept at times. In at times, um, but he's he's it trying, gives him character though. Yes. Don't get me wrong; it, it works and, and, and very well. It fits well. with his yeah. character. But I mean, it's it's just one of those things of I could see the Doctor going through a lot of these steps, doing them better. But doing the same st- steps Chorley did in investigating what's happening at Dominic's. It's, it's that sort of thing. It's not that he would do it the same way. He would do it and better, but he would still do similar things. Yeah. Sins on the Doctor. If we're talking the second Doctor in Chorley's role, he'd probably do it pretty close. He'd probably yeah, that's true. barge down there, <laughs> bluster his way into getting captured, and then have to figure a way out of the cell and blow everything up. Yeah. If it was the third Doctor... He'd have been a little bit more with the spelunking with Lester yeah. Stewart in the yeah. caves. And, There's certainly pieces and elements, you know. yeah. Well, and, and one thing I don't think we really touched on as much is Chorley's role later in the story once 
Oh, it wasn't. Now I'm blanking if it's the right character. Well, I know what in, we in the Dominic's plans. I know what we didn't talk about enough, and I think this is where you're going, Keith. Is the mind control? Yes, the, yes. The okay, so yes, him. I am yes. remembering that correctly. Because Charlie eventually becomes a pawn or a tool of the Dominators, and is used to try. They they at least try to disseminate. Yeah, PR agent. Mm-hmm. They try to use him to disseminate the uh, false. Uh, uh, Public relations uh, yeah. uh, front that they're that they're utilizing in order to sort of placate the public and the government as uh, Lethbridge Stewart's getting closer and closer to the truth, and they utilize him in such a way that you almost feel sorry for him. Oh, and yeah, he seems absolutely. very weak. But I think ultimately there's some redemption redemption to the character because he does manage to fight off the control that that has been asserted over him. Yeah, and, and it's great that he. It's it's also he that gives us a lot of the backstory of why the Dominators are here through the mind control. So it's yes. it's it's not just making Charlie a tool or a comedic element. It's furthering the plot further in a way that I don't know how they could have done otherwise. It's an excellent way to do the exhibition. Of yes, this, to, to get that out there so that especially when you've gone two thirds of the way through the book to be able to kind of further the plot through the exhibition of relaying all of that information to Charlie so that he can in turn then spin it in such a way that it it is it, it still it keeps up their disguise. Yes, absolutely. It also works wonderfully when you get to the bits where he's giving you the genuine dominator history. Yes. Yes. That at that point he's slipped <laughs> into this I can't say paranoid, but uh, a very um, mind-control stupor. You know, when he's, uh, you know, he, he loves Dominators, loves Director Vara, loves his cell. I mean room. And, yeah, yeah. and loves writing these press releases. The typewriter broke hours ago, and I threw it to the floor screaming in terror, and now I'm writing on the wall because I ran out of paper. But I love it. And just on and on and on and it, on and it, on. It, and then all a- of a sudden there's this huge chunk of real Dominator stuff yeah. couched in the middle of all that. And you realize that what they very cleverly have done now is, here's an info dump, but it doesn't break anything no. because no one's going to believe him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it, the, 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 the very cool thing about it is that you say there's not, not paranoia. There's an element of paranoia, but it's genuine fear yeah. that is being suppressed. And on the surface, he's this tool, but deep underneath it, the the... It's conveyed that he really has this fear, but it's a, it's almost a, a balanced confusion of, of what's what's real and what's not, and, yeah. and just the idea of slipping and saying sell and the typewriter broke, but I continue to work. I mean, it's that whole idea of there's almost this desperation that I have to do the job, and yeah. I, I I love that. I think it's 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 very. Uh, Oh, it's it's almost very unnerving for the reader oh, yeah. to realize the really peril is. that he probably is in, and it's conveyed in such a way that it's he's being used. But I think that's why it when when he sort of breaks through that and is able to sort of regain a little bit there in the in the climactic battle. I think it it's it, it it works better because of the fact that we went through this whole process of what's going through his mind. And the conflict that was there, I think it works better than if he had just turned on a dime and went, oh, okay, wait a minute. Yes, <laughs> This absolutely. is bad. I need to help uh, Alice there. So I think it works better that way because it builds to that instead of just, you know, 
like he, like he just switched it off. That yeah. would have that wouldn't have worked. Yeah, yeah. and it, it, it's it's a credit obviously to to the web of fear for for giving us Chorley to begin with. Yeah, oh, and, yeah. And, and doing it in such a way that because he was a weasel, you did not like him. Yeah, he was he was a really kind of a horrible character, and it's a credit to the actor who brought him to life with such well-rounded vividness in that episode that you didn't like him. And then to have Candy Jar pick up the, the, the licensing to this and find a way to utilize him and spin him into a real person. That he's not just this guy you didn't like, but here's his rationale for it, and here's his this. And really flesh him out and make him human. The, the, the first appearances of him in the series, you're like, yeah, Charlie's actually pretty cool. Yeah. And now to get this version of it, you feel sorry for him. And there's a part of me that hates the folks at Candy Jar Books for making <laughs> me feel this whole range of emotions over Charlie. But it's so well done, you know. You're just yeah, you're, you're really right is. there along for the ride with it, and it's 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 amazing. Well, to give him credit, I think Web of Fear did that to a point because he's very slimy. You don't you don't yeah. like the guy, and then by the end, he's a little bit redeemed. This then in turn does an even better job mm-hmm. of what they they tried to do. It redeems him further. Yeah, it really does. Um, I like the journalist aspect. Of Harold Trolley. I, I like the idea that he almost seems a little self-serving, but he does recognize the plight of the things that he's reporting on. Yeah. And so he feels, you know, the character feels like there's this inner struggle of self-preservation, but also disseminating information. And I like how that that there's this little almost internal struggle because he befriends the uh, hippies <laughs> on the streets and and really does kind of uh, uh, save them by putting himself in harm's way and allowing them a chance to escape yeah and but then you almost get this impression that he's really kind of kicking himself now for doing that because look what this has done to my situation and so he reaches out to Lethbridge Stewart who then in turn does him the, the favor but now he's sort of indebted to Lethbridge Stewart in such a way that he almost later is lamenting the fact that he's got, oh gosh I've got to do this now kind of thing and now I'm indebted I'm, myself I'm in all to the somebody way. else yeah. yeah exactly and then rejoining the uh, Mike and what was her name I can't remember her name I don't remember her but, name but rejoining those two and then kind of having been smitten with her and this having this kind of weird little relationship and going so far as to go to this uh, demonstration that they're going to do outside of the facility. And it, it's, it's a little bit of more of his admiration for her, but it also gets him closer to his goal, which is to find more out about this energy plant. And so it's a wonderful dynamic that, and I, I think... Uh, uh, Andy had talked about this in an interview, how they had wanted to use Chorley early on for uh, Schizoid Earth, but they ended up having to use the other guy, James? Green. 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 Yeah, it was James Green, wasn't it? Okay, Green, in that one. And then, so, to be able to then turn around and be able to use Chorley for this one, you know, wholeheartedly, I I, I would have liked to have seen now Chorley in Schizoid Earth, and I think they utilized Green rather well. But... And then also getting the little nod back to green, where we got a little bit of Charlie and a lot of green in Schizoid Earth. We get a little bit of green and a lot of Charlie. Yeah, in, it's a, it's a nice balancing well. act. It is. It really does work. And much like Beast of Fang Rock, it's a really good balancing act between Charlie and Lesbridge Stewart throughout the entire novel. Yeah, sure, sure. 
I, I, I also really like the Dominator's plan and what they were here for. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's simple. very in line. Like it's, it's in line, line. but it, it's it, and simple and... But elevates it somehow at the same time. It does, and it fleshes out the backstory of the Dominator so well and gives us a little um, taste of a interplanetary struggle and another group that... Uh, Eventually, I think we'll see clash in the future. Yeah, uh, that 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 sort of uh, setup kind of whets your appetite for. Hey, I don't think we're done with the Dominators. <laughs> yeah, know, we're going to get a lot more, well, especially with the Vault having a quarry. Yes, at the end of yeah, it. exactly, yeah. exactly. Another piece of alien tech that now they have acquired. And it, it takes the Dominators, and I know we, we we touched on this last time, but it, it makes them. Such a better villain than, you know, really what we kind of get in the TV episode. And, and there's still shades of that, too, of the lesser Dominators trying to usurp the, the, their, their higher-ranking uh, other Dominators and questioning and trying to push those boundaries. And it, it does those in a slightly better way than the TV episode. Yeah, did. I agree. And it, it, it goes to the... It helps that there's three of them. Yeah, instead yes. of just two, so yes. you kind of more, see more so the the power structure, yeah, well, the hierarchy of yeah, power. yeah, that's it, it. It goes to all the way up to. I'd like to see the Dominators return in Doctor Who proper. I think if, you, if you could enough, do this absolutely. kind of story yeah. with them, I'd buy it. Before this story, I'd have said no. After this story. Then I'm definitely on board. I'm like, yeah, let's see the we Dominators. Just, we just return. need Nick Walters to write the TV story. Let's just not wipe away anything they've done in in this as far as the backstory. But I'm afraid because they are disconnected enough that yeah. that the, the story the, the the show proper would find a way to unless, like you said, you got Nick yeah. Walters in to do something. Uh, this this the the show proper would probably invent their own backstory for the Dominators, unfortunately. So <coughs> so while I'm chomping at the bit now, champing at the bit now to get. More dominators and proper Doctor Who. I would rather see. And where how often can you Candy really say that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I want to see the corks. I'm, yeah, I'm, <laughs> the corks are awesome in this. I, Not that they weren't awesome no, in the dominators. This fixes the corks, and even more awesome in the TV comics. It's true. <laughs> this, <laughs> I think uh, uh, Sean's over here about to explode now. This <laughs> suddenly made the corks not only palatable. <laughs> But cool, this yeah. There's some justification. There, here, it just, oh yeah. yeah. The, the the fact that they now fold up and they're like battle droids. They go into these neat well, little and, and containment you, you, you storage can, you devices. You can it in a fact of they were on such low power on. I can't remember uh, Dolkus. Dolkus, yeah. That that's they couldn't do this. They, could, stuff. they couldn't do this. Yeah. And so imagine, it. imagine the fanboy reaction. When you bring back the Dominators, and Peter Capaldi is so excited because he would be, <laughs> and the first quark comes trumbling out of the spaceship and nearly falls down, and fandom is all like, yeah, right. And then the thing unfolds and begins to transform and sprout all these extra appendages and tentacles and becomes a War of the Worlds tripod. And it's just like, yeah, I'm so ready. <laughs> That's the beauty of doing something in prose, is you can uh, let the mind fill in the gaps. You don't have to rely on a budget or special effects or anything like that. If you can speak it, then you can imagine it. 
All right. Anything else on mutually assured domination that we didn't touch on this time or last time? (laughs) (laughs) We really did kind of get into some more excitement about it. And I think we were free to talk a little bit more. I think the one other thing I want to point out, and we did point this out a little bit, and maybe what we did flesh out more, was uh, Lethbridge Stewart's old uh, gang. Uh, bringing in yeah. the characters that I think I said once before, and I say this again, is I feel like they're brought in much too late. I would have rather have had a little more input into their backstory. But when they do arrive in order to help Lethbridge Stewart, I think I really quite enjoyed the characters as they went. Uh, it really feels like a kind of quasi-mercenary squad of old-school <coughs> you know, army chums that oh, yeah. you know, at, at one time was we're in the service with or under Lethbridge Stewart and are very dedicated to this man because of their history. And to be able to come in there and, and him have so much trust in them and hit them relying on his leadership and their uh um uh, faithfulness to him I think that that really that that team I'd like to see that of course we can't see a lot of that team, <laughs> team together again unfortunately but I would have loved to have seen maybe a backstory of although the team didn't all know each other they were all in different services at different times mm-hmm. right they were they, some of them were had were meeting each other for the first time but it would be nice to see another story with this kind of team because they all had their own little specialty when they finally make this assault on the uh, on the energy center and yeah that was really cool i thought that all played out really well it was nicely written it was a nice fourth uh part or act in in the in the uh, story and uh again i would have liked to have seen a lot more of them and know a little bit more of their history or their backstories yeah i would agree with that <coughs> there's a uh, an alternate universe somewhere where Lethbridge Stewart leads a, a, an A team style Tesla. squad of, of these guys. Yeah. Tesla. Well, he was too young there. Yeah, he, he was. Then work. There's a third or fourth Earth out there somewhere. <laughs> we're talking. Earth 4. We're talking multi universe, so we, yeah. we can do it. I'm going to write that story right after I write The yeah. Shot of Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> when are we getting Shot of Doctor? Uh, whenever you help me flesh out the story. Maybe if I knew what it was you wanted to do. <laughs> I wish it was I could put, I wish I could take what I have up here and put it down on paper maybe, because then I could just write the silly thing. Maybe you should start with just tell me the story. I need to, I need to, an outline. I need an outline is what I need to do. You should just, I need to get the, what's jumbled up here. You, down you have this, just record it. I'm missing an element. That's the problem. That's why I can't say. I need to brain, brainstorm it with you, so then you'll find that missing element, and we'll have this. My story. door's always open. <laughs> what do we got coming up on the schedule, Sean? Well, coming up on the schedule next week for Friday Night Who, we are going to be watching Frontios with Peter Davidson, Fifth Doctor Story, which we have not watched or reviewed at all, ever. <laughs> Consequently... We're going to be talking Frontios next week on the show. And a you're lot. new to this one, right? You've I'm never new seen to this, this one. I've one. never seen Keith's it. never seen this. It's been nope. a long time since I've seen this one, so this will be this will be a fun one to review because we'll all kind of come with relatively fresh eyes. I'll come with relatively, relatively. fresh <laughs> eyes. You guys will have very fresh <laughs> very eyes. Very fresh eyes. <laughs> so uh, if you're available, join us. Uh, uh, look for the Friday Night Who hashtag and join us on Twitter for the tweet along. If you can get a copy and uh, 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 join in, we push play at midnight. Um, and if not, well, then join us uh, here on the EO website for the the review. 
Yes. And if you're not already a Patreon subscriber or uh, supporter, please consider doing so. All of the uh, money that goes to Patreon goes straight back into the show 100%. And uh, we've actually made a purchase recently that will uh, elevate our visual uh, appeal and presence at conventions and uh, other events that we uh, uh, visit. And we will unveil that, I believe, uh, in May at Planet Comic Con. And uh, you'll be able to see that if you come, which we hope you do if you're in the area or in the tri-state area. <laughs> uh, and if you not, if not, we'll obviously have some pictures that you'll be able to see online as well. And we'll be pulling, we'll be bringing that everything that we go to this year. And, and Sean some, put some effort, some work into that, and it looks great. It we're very pleased really with it. So, um, and of course, uh, again, if you if you can be a patron subscriber, we appreciate it. If you're already a patron subscriber, we thank you. We thank you so thank much. You so thank much. you. And, uh, that that again is helping to go uh, further this podcast and continue to keep us on the airwaves or on the airwebs, and either way. And uh, we obviously ask you to uh, click on some of those other uh, links on our website because some of that money goes to us as well. And you can always, of course, submit any feedback on our website, TravelingTheVortex.com. You can also send feedback at feedback at TravelingTheVortex. And reach out to us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads Book Club, Tumblr. Pretty much any good social media site, we are there. And, and we're then some we're not the so big, good ones. We're on the big three. Let's just put it that way. That's the, that's the ones that everybody's on. So. Yeah. All right. Anything else this week before we wrap this up? I don't All think right. so. That's going to do it for this week. Until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.